0: Heavenly Father, we praise you today for your saint, Lydia, and we pray like 2,000 years ago when she heard the teaching of the apostles and responded, when you opened her heart and she invited them into her home, that we would do the same thing today when we hear the good news. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. True story, back in 2003 on on a Thursday, a man named Aaron Ralston found himself in an unbelievable and a horrifying predicament. Um, He was literally between a rock and a hard place, stuck. He had been hiking. It was just supposed to be a day hike, and This Blue John Canyon in Utah. So, he didn't tell his friends where he was going. He left his phone in his truck. He was just going to be gone for seven hours or so and then then come back. But as he was hiking in the canyon, he felt the rocks beneath his feet begin to shake, and suddenly the rock that he had been standing on, 800-pound boulder, was now actually resting on his arm, and had pinned him up against a rock wall where he stayed and had been now for, for five days. Five days. Pinned up against a rock wall. His arm was stuck. At some point, he, when, when he thinks back on this, um, this event, uh, he, he writes this. I seriously contemplate amputating my arm. So I take everything out of my bag, and I lay it on the surface of the rock around me, and I'm thinking through each of the items in my bag, which which ones can be used for possible surgery. My two biggest concerns are a cutting tool that can actually do the job and a tourniquet that will keep me from bleeding out." Aaron Ralston stuck under an 800-pound rock. We all find ourselves stuck, don't we? We all get stuck. It's not just individuals that get stuck in marriages or get stuck in single life or get stuck in a job or get stuck in an addiction or an illness or get stuck in hatred or get stuck in self-righteousness. But cultures get stuck, don't we? Like in the cycle of retaliatory violence, cultures get stuck. Whole cultures get stuck in oppressive trends that make the weak weaker and the strong stronger. Individuals and cultures, even nations get stuck in Cold Wars and in political stalemates like what we're seeing right now in our own nation. Humanity gets stuck. To be human at one point or another is to find yourself stuck. My question for us today is, how are we stuck? I mean, in your life, in your family, in your heart, in your body, in your job, how are you stuck? How are you stuck? If Christianity is true, if the Bible is true, If Jesus isn't a liar, if Jesus isn't a lunatic, but He's actually the Lord, the Son of God, then surely something about what we're doing today here in our study and our worship in the Eucharist, something must have something to say about this predicament of getting stuck. And so it does from John chapter 5, which is our gospel lesson for the day. Here's our theme. If you're taking notes and you want to write it down in a sentence, Jesus alone, Jesus alone can deliver us from despair. Jesus alone can deliver those who are stuck in despair. Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to get unstuck? Two places uh, we see this man's despair in John 5. Find your Scripture insert, And follow along with me as we study the passage. John 5, the story of the healing of the paralytic. We're going to look at his despair and then at his deliverance. His despair and his deliverance and ours. Verse 3, look at verse 3. John writes, In this public pool at Jerusalem lay many invalids. Invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill, for 38 years. So, Jesus comes into town for a feast, and He finds a bunch of stuck people, people in despair, people who couldn't see or hear or speak or move. In that culture, they would be reduced to begging on the streets. What, what's many? What's, what's many invalids? Hundreds? A big crowd of people gathered in this place around this pool where they hoped to find healing. We'll talk about why that was in just a minute. But they're all gathered in one place. Archaeologists have actually found this pool in Jerusalem, this big public place with five porticos or porches. This one guy had been there or had been ill, wanting to be healed for 38 years, needing healing for 38 years. Listen to this desperation. He, he, most men only live to be age 40, so his illness, being lame and unable to walk, had defined most of his life, and at this point, at 38 years, threatened to define all of it. The fact that he, he's picked out among the crowd and that John somehow knows his story a little bit… it it perhaps tells us that everybody there, all the invalids gathered there, maybe they all knew his story. This guy was well known. His situation was much to be pitied. And to add insult to injury in verse 7 when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed, do you want to be made well? Notice his response when Jesus asked him the question, The sick man answered him, "'Sir, I've no one to put me into the pool "'when the water is stirred up. "'And while I'm making my way, "'someone else steps down ahead of me. "'That is to say, I'm alone.'" What's your despair today? Maybe it's in your body, but probably it's in your soul. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's in your marriage, in your job, in your isolation, in your loneliness, in your addiction, where is your despair? For this man, his despair was not only his illness and the fact that he was alone in his illness and could not even get into this miracle pool, but his, his despair was even in his attempt at healing. Here's the second place we see his despair, not just in his illness, but in his method, in his attempt to get healed. John tells us Jesus shows up to this feast. Lots of people are there. The place is bustling. And where, by the way, where does Jesus go when he gets to Jerusalem? Big, big crowd of people for a feast. Jesus goes to the place where our God, the Christian God, always goes to where the hurting people are. That's where Christians go. That's why we invented the hospitals, for example. And that's why we always attempt, always want to help hurting people. That's where our God goes. Jesus shows up to this big crowd of hurting people. Happens to be a large pool, apparently well-known. We don't know if it's folklore, like a bunch of people gathered here because um, every now and again the waters were stirred. Um, There's a verse missing from the the reading that is sort of highly debated in the text as to whether it was original or not. And that verse, it's verse 4, so I don't know if you have the verses listed there, but that's where we learn a little bit that um, it's it's one of the Christian traditions was that an angel would visit this miraculous pool, stir up the waters, and the first person to get in would be miraculously healed. We don't know what is going on with this miracle pool, but here's what we do know. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't working. And this one guy had been waiting for 38 years to be healed. Something's wrong. Do you see his despair? Not just in his illness, but in his attempts to fix his despair. Do you see that? Now, before we disconnect ourselves from this story because we're, we're, we're able to see and hear and speak and move, before we do that, Listen to this. Henry Nowen, uh, an, an author and a priest who left his career teaching to live with folks just like this, the physically disabled and the mentally disabled. Henry Nouwen moves into the ark and lives with them. And this was one of the themes of his writing, that it may seem like we're not disabled, but in fact, the physical handicap of some mirrors back to us all the spiritual handicap in our souls. That is to say, we're all disabled. Everybody is a spiritual invalid. The curse of sin means some of our bodies are broken, but all of our souls are broken. Saint Augustine on this passage wrote, it's more important that Jesus healed the faults of souls than that he healed the weaknesses of mortal bodies. Why? And he goes on to say, because when Jesus healed the physical bodies, Those bodies could awaken. Those bodies could awaken to the knowledge of whom it was that wanted to touch their souls. That is to say, Jesus touches our bodies to get to our souls. Everybody's soul is paralyzed. Everybody is a spiritual invalid. What is your desperation today? Don't distance yourself from your desperation. Grab a hold of it. Let's lift it up to Jesus together. By the way, it's tempting when we read something about a miracle pool in, uh, in ancient, ancient Israel, we think, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But we do, actually. We do believe in miracle cures, right? We've got conferences and speakers and essential oils You can buy those from Mendy, by the way, if you. (laughs) Vitamins, we subscribe to gurus. We practice yoga and meditation. Listen, all those things are wonderful. That's great. Awesome. Have fun. Knock yourself out. But just like in Jesus' day, everybody is looking for a cure to their desperation. Everybody. Archbishop William Temple, many years ago, made this comment about what we do with our desperation and how we try to fix it. He said, part of the deadly quality of sin is that it hinders us from seeking its cure. Hear that again. Part of the deadly quality of sin is that it hinders us from seeking its cure. He says, we want to be cured Because of sin, though, we've lost the power to submit ourselves to the curative influence of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're all stuck. We all know despair. We know the despair of our brokenness, and we know the despair of being unable to fix it. The good news of the gospel today and every Sunday is that Jesus comes to us in the midst of our despair and offers us deliverance. So let's look at this man's deliverance. John 5. Look at verse 6. This man was delivered in a personal way, in an effective way, in a free way. Verse 6 tells us, Jesus saw the man lying there and he knew, he knew that he had been there a long time. This is a little bit of a theme that John's been tracking. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4? Jesus knew Lots of stuff about her life that she didn't realize he knew supernaturally. Jesus saw this man in a crowd of broken people, and he knew this man's story. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus knows your story. He knows you. He is all-knowing. He is God in the flesh. Can you imagine being in the presence of one who knows you inside and out, we prayed the prayer just a minute ago. Dean led, uh, led us in it as he chanted it. To you, God, all of our hearts are open. All of our desires are known. And to you, God, none of our secrets are hid. Jesus knows this man's story and he knows your story. He knows your desperation and all of its specificity. Into verse 6, Jesus asks him, in light of what Jesus knows about his story, this is Jesus' question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? What a fascinating question to ask to a man who you already know has been lying on the ground for 38 years. Why would he ask that? Do you want to be made well? You know, this is called ambivalence. Ambivalence. You know the word you know the word and the experience of ambivalence, whether you realize it or not. If you've ever found a strange mark on your forehead and you've grown up in Florida and you still don't go to the doctor that week, that's ambivalence. You discover a lump on your skin and you wait to have it check out. That's ambivalence. You feel a toothache, a toothache, and you procrastinate in calling the dentist, even though, even though a root canal is threatening you. That's that's ambivalence. If you've ever paid money to sit on a therapist's couch, and when you show up, go through all the rigmarole of making the appointment, filling out the papers, parking the car, paying the whatever money. And then you have trouble talking about your problems. That's ambivalence. We all do ambivalence. That's what we do with our desperation. We want to be made well, but we don't want to be made well. We don't know what being healed will cost us. It's scary. It's frightening. It's unknown. Jesus knew this man's ambivalence, and he knows ours. Let me say this about ambivalence. Ambivalence and deliverance don't go together. Ambivalence and deliverance don't go together. It's a wonderful hymn Joseph Hart wrote many years ago. It's a hymn that we don't uh, have in, in our hymn books, but in other circles of the church, they sing it. It's called Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. Listen to this verse. Let not conscience make you linger. Don't let your conscience make you linger nor a fitness fondly dream because all the fitness that God requires is to feel your need of Him. And this He gives you. The only one thing God needs from you, and He'll give you that thing, to feel your need of Him. Jesus knows this man, and He knows us inside and out, so let's not fight the lifeguard who's coming to rescue us, right? Let's not let our consciences make us linger. Just give up. Let's let go. Let's be honest about our desperation. God, please fix my marriage. God, please don't let me stay lonely. God, please help my anger. It's ruining my life. God, please rescue me from this addiction. God, please change my job. This, I, I hate this job. What is your desperation? This man's deliverance, though, was not just personal. It was effective and free. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 8. Almost near the end of the passage, Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. It's free. It's a gift. Jesus gives it to him. God does it. Right? He doesn't say... Sir, can you uh, recite the Nicene Creed for me? Which, by the way, didn't exist at that point. C- sir, can you can you make a profession of faith? Sir, can you quote the Talmud for me? No, he, Jesus just gives him the gift. It's free. Did you know that God's grace and salvation and deliverance and all the blessings in all of Scripture are free? Did you know that there is such a thing as a free lunch? It's in the Bible. It's the salvation. The, 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 the finishing of all of your desperation, it is in a gift from God. Verse 9, the man's response, and so at once, John says, at once, boom, the man was made well. He took up his mat, and he began to walk. Listen, this is an important lesson. God's deliverance to this man was personal, and it was a free gift, And it was very effective, unlike the pool that all of these people were gathered around waiting for healing. Jesus just says, I'm the source of healing, you're healed. In Reformed uh, Protestant theology, particularly in Calvinism, one of the emphases is on uh, 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 um, irresistible grace. It's called irresistible grace, almost a technical term. And irresistible grace, listen to this, it's the notion that if and when, if and when God wants to display His grace to you, to save you, to grab you and bring you into His kingdom, to melt your heart of stone, to fill it with His life-giving Spirit, if and when He wants to do that, there is nothing in all of creation, not even your human will, that can stop it. That's the notion of irresistible grace. Now, for Anglicans among us, we're squirming in our seats right now. For Calvinist theology, so let me quote from our the other side of the church. In Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox theology, one of the emphases is on cooperating with God's grace. Cooperating with God's grace. This is the notion that if and when God displays grace and saves us and and, and wants to melt our heart of stone and wants to change our life, change our marriage, change our situation. That in some way, our cooperation is necessary to that miraculous work. Protestants and Catholics, I know we're not supposed to believe both of these things are true, but I do. And I can't help but see glimpses of these beautiful historical Christian truths. In the last two verses of this story, in regards to the man's deliverance, it was free and it was effective, and he participated. Jesus, in verse 8, get up, you're well. The man, verse 9, okay, stands up and walks. It's free and he cooperates. Here's the point. In the midst of your despair, whatever it is, God doesn't need your help in bringing you deliverance. His grace is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, all-good. He doesn't need your help, but He does want your trust, your allegiance, your heart, your love, your obedience. God does the work of deliverance, and we trust in Him for that. So Aaron Ralston, stuck on the rock, 800-pound boulder on his arm, by the... Sixth day, his arm had already begun to decompose in, as he's attached to it. And he again begins to contemplate making this amputation. He, um, he finds his camera in his bag and he be- records uh, a goodbye video to his family and friends. And he carves on the rock wall beside him his name and his birthday and the, that day which he presumed to be his death date. He found a tool that would do the job, and long story short, I'll uh, spare you the details. Aaron amputates his arm, puts it in a tourniquet, and leaves the boulder. His arm is still under the rock. He's, he, he's able to find a family out in the canyon, and they help him get airlifted out, and he makes a million dollars and writes books and all that, right? Friends, let me just leave you with this image, this picture of deliverance according to Christianity, according to God's Word. Um, The Bible does teach that our deliverance, you and me, the deliverance from all the stuff we've talked about, that it does correspond with a painful amputation. It really does. Blood is involved in our deliverance, but it's not our blood. It's not our blood. There is an amputation. There is an amputation, but it's not us. The Bible teaches that Christ himself was amputated on the cross, on our behalf, so that we could get our mat and stand up and walk home. That's the message of Christianity. Jesus was bloodied for us so that we could be free. So in the midst of your despair, whatever it is today, look to the crucified and the risen one whose body was amputated that we might be delivered and when in the songs that we sing, when at the altar when receiving Eucharist and when in the prayers of the people and when in the silence at your pew, when you hear Jesus say, get your mat, stand up and walk, do it. Amen.